Hello and welcome to the Hunting Web Ellis podcast. It is a build-up podcast. It is a round-up podcast that basically is going to take us all the way through uh, up to the World Cup and maybe even through the World Cup itself. Uh, it's going to have an Irish focus. Uh, going to be focusing mainly on the teams Ireland are going to be playing or could possibly be playing as well as taking in reader questions and comments on trends in the game and I suppose everything that's leading up into this World Cup that's coming up in just a few short weeks now uh, it won't be long at all until we're watching that kick off in Paris so uh, I suppose we'll start with the the three main games that kicked off this weekend um, there was rugby championship action going on we had Australia versus New Zealand in the uh, Melbourne Cricket Ground uh, you had 80,000 people there so a pretty good event uh, you had uh, South Africa versus Argentina and then in the first of the uh, summer series or the nation series or basically your World Cup warm-ups we had Scotland playing Italy in Murrayfield so uh, I suppose the first game I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on is the Scotland game um, it's got a lot of interest uh, because Ben Healy started at 10 for Scotland in this one the final score was Scotland 25 Italy 13 and yeah look it was a decent enough performance by by Scotland um Ben Healy played really well uh he I think he well he won't play the match he was a standout player for me watching it live and, and then on the little brief watch back that I did so many good involvements you know he had a few highlight real things like that 50-22 uh, cross field kick as well for for a try but what I liked most about him was, and this is a, a, a kind of a continuance of what we saw from Ben Healy towards the end of the season, was just how calm, composed he was, and the variety he's bringing, he's he's starting to bring into his game as well. I thought that was very very interesting, um, because I think at the start of the season, my rating of Ben Healy was obviously a good player, but that there was something missing from his game. He wasn't really kicking on to the level that we'd hope to see now at the start of the season the first we'll say I'd say the first six weeks of the season maybe up until that South Africa game we hadn't seen a whole lot of him but what we had seen he was still a little bit hesitant when it came to his ball carrying there wasn't enough variety in his game for me either um that played a factor in my in my rating of him as being okay look good but we kind of need to be investing a lot in Jack Crowley now I still think investing in Jack Crowley is the right thing to do obviously I think he's a, a fabulous player but when you look at Ben Healy once that decision was made that he was going to declare for Scotland and as a result move to Edinburgh at the end of the season that was something that was hanging over him for a bit at the early part of the, at the, early part of the year there was decisions there to be made um, where he had to weigh up like he wanted to play test rugby Scotland were offering him that rugby now uh, for Ireland he hadn't even made a camp let alone an emerging Ireland tour so at that stage there was only one decision to make which was it's time to move to Scotland and take the test rugby that's there right now as opposed to hang on on the you know on the you know the never never from from Ireland so uh, when he made that move and his involvement in test camp and this, I've heard this from play, from players and from coaches. He came back to Munster, a different guy, playing with a lot of confidence. All of a sudden, the variety that that Munster had been looking for him to put into his game was kind of there now, and he was playing with a sort of a swagger and uh, a belief that it, that wasn't really there before. This is the thing that can happen when it comes to Test rugby, where you have a guy who might be of a certain level, and then he gets exposed to Test camp, and the confidence shoots him up to another level. Now, it can go the other way, where a player might be going very well, but then 
gets a knock or his confidence takes a, a big hit in a, a test level and all of a sudden he drops back a level I think you could look at the likes of James Hume although there has been some injuries there as well as being a guy who you could kind of throw that at to a certain extent but that's kind of the the, the confidence that Ben Healy has been playing with and that's continued into this summer series thought he was really really effective looking at the numbers overall uh, I, I thought that on the balance I thought that um, Scotland deserved the win uh, they were just more efficient when it came to their opportunities like Italy had more uh, they had more time in Scotland's 22 than Scotland had in Italy's uh, they had more time in the opposition half um, they were uh, I think when we're looking at Italy they are trying to play on ball rugby at test level which is admirable um, there are obviously teething problems that come with it and they've got a few systemic issues that, that hurt them as well and that hurt them in this game I didn't think Italy were bad at all. Like, I mean, 25-13 with, uh, you know, a, f- a few cherry on the top scores coming later on in the game for them, I thought, uh, for, for Scotland, I thought Italy did really well. And I think the interesting thing is here is their percentage of possession that they kicked. Uh, Scotland kicked 6.6, which is low enough, relatively speaking. Italy only kicked 4.8% of their possession, which is really low. Like, and you could see that during the game where they were taking a few, bit of criticism from, I think it was Dewey Morris or whoever it was, um, on comms that they, that they were being a bit naive, um, that they were looking to try and play it from everywhere. It's a, it's like, that's a stylistic choice. They're not doing that to be expensive. And this is something that I'll come back to later on when I'm speaking about the uh, the Australia, Australia-New Zealand game. Um, the way that Italy are looking to try to play is that they want to dominate possession to do that they need a lot of variety in their phase play um, they're going to have to have a, a certain build in their pack and midfield to play that way I think they're not that far off um, I think that they had some really good performers here um, but the big issue and again look we look at their ruck recycle speed they had 72.6% of their possession was under 3 seconds which is pretty good Scotland's was 74.6 which is very good as well like Scotland played well and I'm just focusing on Italy here because of the the way that they're playing which is it's uh, unique in, in, in the way that the, like that, that they're approaching at a test level I feel Um, but like they feel and I think that the concept behind it is is that if they're able to hang on to the ball and play multi-phase sets as they try to do in this game a good, a, a good few times then that's opportunity like like there are moments in the field where they're not conceding tries or they're not conceding line breaks if they're in possession of the ball that's one of the key parts of of uh on ball rugby which is different from we'll say off ball styles like kick pressure or those sort of transition styles like counter transition um the thing with with on ball rugby is is that it does look to limit your exposure to danger by hanging onto the ball now you can't just truck it off nine there's got to be variety there and, and they did have variety but obviously there was a there was error rates there as well. Like you look at their uh, their turnovers conceded. I'm just gonna try and pull that up here. And some of their penalties uh, were a killer for them. But like one of the things with with on ball rugby is you don't have to have a superstar set piece. Like you don't have to have a killer first phase line out game. It helps if you do, but it's not necessary. You don't have to have a massively dominant scrum but you do not you absolutely cannot afford to have a liability scrum and that's what Italy had in this game like they conceded um, like the tries they conceded let me just have a look at their or the, the penalties they conceded in total 
um, were they conceded eleven right now. Scotland conceded ten. Okay, which like that like that will happen. Like Scotland's were the ones that you expect to concede. They conceded four penalties on the ground. Like there there were their ruck penalties. They had two scrum penalties conceded. They had two offside penalties conceded. That's fairly standard. That like that kind of stuff happens. But when you look at Italy, they conceded five penalties at the scrum. And they had a conversion rate of their own scrum, 62.5%. Scotland won three of Italy's scrums. Cannot function. <laughs> your line out or your, your your game plan cannot function if you're playing on-ball rugby if you have that weakness in your team. Now, you do not have to have a, like a, a, a scrum that runs people over. Ideally, that'd be great if you did, but it's not necessary. It just has to not leak penalties. If it doesn't leak penalties... The opposition will only get so far, or else, like when they carry off the scrum, they might have a few set piece little, you know, little little hijinks that they'll get into. That's fine. You can defend those, most of them, uh, with the idea, the idea being that they'll kick the ball back to you, and then you have possession back. You will run it back at them and go back into your structure. If you're conceding straight penalties off the scrum repeatedly, and they did in this game, or you're not, or you're not controlling your own scrum, you're in big trouble, and that is the massive hole in the boat for Italy at the moment is their scrum and their set piece. If they can sort that out, if they even sorted it out here, this would have been a much closer game, I think. Because um, a lot of what Italy did in this game, I think for me, was, was actually very good. So, like, overall, like, I think their, their, their error rate was very low. Scotland had far more errors. They had 17 handling errors. Italy only had seven. Um... Scotland's breakdown was very good as well. They had, they had seven breakdown steals, which is, again, really impressive. And I think it's a, a swing back. Uh, we're seeing a lot more breakdown steals now than what we were seeing in the first half of the year. That's an interesting thing coming up to the World Cup. But, um, yeah, I think that like, both sides, I think, will be happy enough with this run-out. Obviously, Ireland are playing Italy next, and we're playing uh, Scotland in the World Cup pool. So it was interesting to watch this. Um, I was quite impressed looking at uh, looking at Scotland, um, some of their players. I thought Stafford McDowell did really well. He's a big physical guy. I was, I was impressed when I saw him playing against Munster in Tolman Park early in the season. He looked really, really good, and they've got a lot of depth in midfield. Um, it's one of their main areas of strength, I would say, for Scotland because they've got uh, they've got Hugh Jones, they've got Tua Palato, but they've got Chris Harrison now, Stafford McDowell as well. So there's four really good operators that they have there. I think Kyle Stain can also play in midfield. I thought he did really well uh, on the wing for them. Darcy Graham was back, looked good as well. Ollie Smith um, was okay. Look, I think he didn't play poorly by any means, but I think that there's money in that Ben Healy. Blair Kinghorn combination at ten and fifteen, and plus you got you got you know um, Finn Russell to come back in there as well, who I think is far from finished. I think he'll be their main guy because I think the drawbacks that he has as a player, they're just about overshadowed. You know, just on, on we'll say it's close enough run thing by the absolute magic he can do with the ball and the the the, the passes he can find, the games he can break open. Um, but I think having an option like Ben Healy, especially with how short he looked in this he looked in this game, is actually really good for Scotland, and I think it adds an awful lot to their to their game. And in the pack, uh, I still think they've got they're a player or two away there from being a real threat. Um, they've got some good players there, obviously. You know, you look at uh, George Turner is a good player. Uh, I think that Rory Sutherland is a surprise that he hasn't been picked up by any club yet. Good loose head prop. 
Their back fives are generally quite good. They've got a lot of uh, small forward type players. They've got a lot of strike wing forwards, heavy wing forwards. Um, and in Matt Fagerson, I think they have a good kind of power forward style player there that, again, they know is effective for them. Um, they weren't at their full strength here. They were missing the likes of Xander Fagerson and stuff like that. They're going to be bringing in other guys as this summer series goes on. I don't think they're in a bad place, realistically. You know, you look at Scotland, I think that there's a lot of quality there. Now, they have... There's no pressure, really. I'm trying to say, like, is there no expectation on Scotland? Like, there is. There is an expectation for them to do well, obviously, in the World Cup. But, like, there's no pressure, so to speak, for them to do so. Like, they're in a group with Ireland and and South Africa. Ireland number one team in the world South Africa obviously one of the you know traditional big three in the game so there's not you know Scotland are kind of in that Japan spot now where you know you look at um, like Japan last time out had they, they were they were the small team in the group nobody really expected them to do anything um, they had a great run to, to, to the finals you know to the World Cup finals and stuff like that like they, they were able to get there and, and play really well no, there was no expectation on them other than that they were the host country or whatever else. But I think when I look at Scotland, I see a team that's got a lot of quality players. They've got, like, generally, they've got a great back three. You've got Duhan van der Merwe to come in there as well. Likes of Darcy Graham. They've got options. Like, Stuart Hogg is as retired for them, from them. But I don't think they're any weaker for that, you know? I think you, you look at Darcy Graham. He could spot in there at fullback. But you've got Blair Kinghorn there too like Duhan van der Merwe is a great player as well they've got a great back line and like I think half back traditionally has been a problem for them in that there's always been a few you know mistakes from Finn Russell that have undermined them or that have you know cost them big moments in, in, in the same way that he can break open a game against an England or a France there's always a a game where he just he dips and the mistakes are too much to handle I felt in this game, and it's not just because not 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 just because of Ben Healy, but I felt that he played really well. Obviously, that they just looked a lot more assured. There were far fewer fireworks, of course. There there was less moments of magic, but I just think everything ran a little bit smoother. And I think that that will only build Ben Healy's confidence. You look, he's a Scottish player now, you know, and I think that he is going to be a guy who will rack up appearances for Scotland a lot quicker than what people um, expect because he brings such an array of positives to that 10 jersey. He's obviously got some weaknesses in his game as well, but he's a good passer of the ball. He's worked out now how to start using his physicality, which is not something that comes naturally to a lot of fly halves. And he's a big guy. He's 6'3". He's got a big frame in him as well. Um, His passing, his kicking, his eye for space is actually really good that's before you get into his his goal kicking his ability to just drive the ball unbelievable distances like that is a really strong part of his game and, and I just think that he doesn't have the magic in his boots that the likes of Finn Russell would have but I think he's a really competent player and that's not damning a fellow with faint praise because so many 10s are mostly incompetent make so many mistakes, make so many errors, they're up and down, they're all over the place. Like you look at like, like the guy like a Quay, a Quay Cooper, for example. Huge rep in the game, but so up and down, so inconsistent, and can't really run a system, so to speak. I look at Ben Healy, and I see a guy who can run a system, and who can slot in and look to try and get the most out of what is a really talented Scottish backline and, and back row. 
Um, it's just that whether they can stand up in the, in the front five, and that's been an area for them, um, where they obviously have to, you know, work some stuff out there. But I think Scotland are a bit of a dark horse in that pool. I think they have the capacity to hurt one of Ireland or South Africa. Maybe not both, but I think they have the capacity to spring a surprise there, especially if both Ireland and Scotland are focusing, hyper-focusing on... Um, the uh, on each other and I think that Ireland plays Scotland before South Africa there's a two week break then um, so that's going to be a, a tricky game I think because I think if they are, are beyond the point where they have to rely on Finn Russell or one of the other fellas who've come in and haven't looked up to scratch with regards to managing a game or not being able to stay in the game you know with, with full concentration for the full 80 I think if they've got like I think Kinghorn is a great player not a 10 but I think if he's at fullback with the likes of a Ben Healy or whoever be it you know the young Hastings fella or whoever it is then I think they've got solidity there that they haven't had previously and I think that with the the balance of box kicking moving away now from the nines I, th- I see uh, Charlie Morgan did a piece in it in, the, in the, the Telegraph this week but I've been talking about it for a while the new rules in the game, 50-22 and the, the the goal line dropout, you know, for any kick that's dotted down, that's an attack, like that was an attacking kick, is a goal line dropout. I think that adds so much value to kicking off 10 or, you know, from the pocket rather than, you know, box kicking. Box kicking will still be in the game, but nowhere near as much. And that is making guys like Ben Healy really valuable because he's got a, a boot in him that it stands up with anybody in this game. And his consistency with it is just a really, really, like a massive positive for, for for Scotland. So, yeah, I think that they're looking in pretty decent shape. And for Italy, love their style of play. Uh, they've got some really explosive, really good athletes that are coming into their squad. Um, I think 10 is a problem for them in that, um, you know, without Paulo Garbisi there. But like, I, I look at their style and what they're looking to try and bring. It is on-ball rugby. So they're a team that if they can keep building cohesion and they've got a lot of warm-up games for a reason like they're trying to build this cohesion to hit the world cup running you've got to have that understanding with your players if you're going to play on ball rugby they had a few errors here as well um, and their scrum obviously needs to like something needs to needs to change there um but if they can make that phase play game that they're playing work and they can get their set piece to a point where they're not conceding the penalties that they did against Scotland on either side of the put in they will be there or thereabouts where they will be looking at the possibility of springing a surprise in the pool and maybe sneaking in as a second place team not talking about them winning the World Cup but I think on-ball rugby suits the players that Italy have and it doesn't mean that they have to get into uh, a style of game I think that they're almost looking to try to cheese your way to a win and they don't need to do that like they don't need to be an overly kick dominant team I don't think they have the players for it but I think they do have the players for on-ball possession rugby and I think it suits what Italy are bringing and uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they develop uh, the other games that were being played were in the rugby championship which was again I think fairly uh, dramatic when it comes to the Argentina and South Africa game there were so many talking points in that uh, obviously the main one was the uh, incident with uh, Maia and uh, Grant Williams or Malia Grant Williams basically he charged down a kick um, and knocked out Grant Williams and uh, the game wasn't stopped for I think it was 6 or 7 seconds in the aftermath of that charge down now again I think there's been a lot of noise uh, on social media 
from South Africa Rugby Twitter who I think over the last two or three weeks were, if you took everybody at face value, absolute bastions of respect for referees in this game. That went out the window as soon as their own team is involved, as it almost always does with everybody, to be fair. Um, I think that Andrew Brace made a mistake in not stopping the game sooner. To be fair, though, a charge down had just happened, the, you know, and the player had actually charged down the ball. Um, the ball was bouncing around the place. Defenders and attackers were switching around. There was all manner of stuff going on. It Argentina won a penalty, and then the game was stopped. But um, for me, I think the Argentina player has every right, if he's allowed to jump and charge down the ball there, then if he charges down the ball, which he did, and he, because there was some all this like splitting hairs about, oh, he jumped before the ball was kicked. Grant Williams was about to kick the ball. You could see that he was kicking the ball. So the player jumped to try and get him blocked down the ball. For me, if he's allowed to jump and if he blocks down the ball, because they were talking about, oh, is he in a realistic position to block down the ball? Like, well, yeah, because he, he blocked the ball down. So it, by default, it was a realistic position. Um, like all that kind of stuff and I felt then that there was a lot of like reaction on social media towards Andrew Brace and his TMO and uh, the assistant referees or whatever else it's just it happens every time and I, and I know I look it's something I know I've done in the past and I'm trying to fix it like I've said I've tried to do it in the past it is hard it's emotional when you see your team getting hurt by a refereeing decision or whatever else it's and especially when you've fucking drink on board which I understand too Um, you're going ah oh, fuck this fuck that or whatever else but I think we have to try and pull that back a little bit here like I think because there's lots of accusations about Andrew Brace oh he's endangering the players and all this other fucking stuff that's only rubbish it really is he's out there trying his best and the ball is bouncing around you're looking to see where the ball because it's right in the try line it's the first couple of minutes of a, a massive test game a full house more or less I know I actually know it wasn't a full house there was quite a number of people not there I think because I think I saw some stuff about Ellis Park and Joe and uh uh, Johannesburg not being the most um, of hospitable places at the moment but like that's the when you're looking at a referee like that you can understand it like you should he have seen Grant Williams quicker yes you should he have blown it up quicker absolutely I'm not sure though if that's a default red card now uh, Malia has been um, cited by the citing commissioner that's going to go to uh, a, a hearing um, deciding commissioner feels it should have been a red card I see people's logic for why it should have been a red card for me if he's allowed to jump and block down a kick the minute he blocks down the kick he can't just disappear like he can't double jump over Grant Williams so like once he's in the air he can't control where he goes like I see people like oh well he, he shaped this way like he blocked the ball down so he was putting himself in the best shape to block the ball down you can't control yourself in the air. You can't change direction once you're there. So, to a certain extent, to me, that's why I'm thinking this is a rugby incident. You're saying, was he reckless when he was jumping and, you know, to try and block down the ball? If he's allowed to block down the ball, for me, his actions after he does that, and, and this, like, I know I'm refereeing an outcome here. If he misses the ball, then I'm thinking, yeah, yellow card, red card. But because he blocked the ball down, that for me puts enough doubt in there for it to be a rugby incident because he achieved what he set out to do like for me the guys who are trying to jump and like they're never in a realistic position to block down the ball and like th- th- there's no real 
like what they're doing there doesn't seem to be any, any logic to it in that instance I could see okay maybe look at the yellow card here maybe look at the red or whatever else but in that incident I felt do you know what I think that he's he's shooting in there it's early in the game he's flying at the ball he's trying to block it down he does block it down he can't disappear from the air he can't turn into steam in midair and just kind of ghost through Williams he can't do that so to me it's just an unfortunate rugby incident but that's just my opinion obviously and your opinion might be different but on the whole though I felt that South Africa weren't great um, and again I just think it's I've got a few questions on on, on South Africa here um, and this is from Joe McDonald on Patreon uh, he said are South Africa struggling a bit stylistically at the moment trying to play more expansively than their usual power game and contestables but uh, as a result not building momentum leading into the World Cup really good point they're trying to do like to play differently you can see that I think they're hurt at the moment by I think their 10 12 and 13 isn't working whatever their problem is it's not Willie LaRue Willie LaRue a fullback I think is has his drawbacks he has weaknesses in his game but they have no complete players at the moment in their backline I think Lucanio Am has come back from his injury doesn't look to be the same level of player I think as well um, from a creative perspective they need an extra kind of two way player there um, they have Damien Dillon they have Lucanio Am for years um, the best centre partnership in the world they obviously won a World Cup with that partnership um, back in 2019 I think what I've seen of them since has not been great and look you could say look they're, they haven't played in a while like Lucanio Am is coming back from injury Damien uh, Damien is coming back from playing in Japan or, or you know he was out for a while not playing a whole lot of top level rugby it does take time to get back in obviously if you're playing a different style or you're trying to change up what you're doing your midfield is hugely important to that as well I just think that if they're going to a more expansive style and looking to try to balance out where they're weak um, and I think their weakness in some way comes from their biggest strength which is their their pack the size and power of their forwards their set piece to try and balance that out requires quite a complex game that I don't think they have the 10 to play that game right now be it Pollard, be it Libok, be it whoever, uh, Damien Willemsa. Um, I think that they are, at the moment, looking like a quite limited side. Like, I've got an article coming this week on tracking the box um, ahead of our game in, in, in uh, the World Cup. And I'm just looking at them, and I'm seeing a side that obviously have a, lot, a ton of really good players, and, like, world-class players, obviously. You know, the likes of R.G. Snayman, Malcolm Marks, um... I still think that the box are a little bit too in love with the bot with the bomb squad. I think that that's hurting them at the moment. I think that from a concept point of view, I completely understand having that strength and power on the bench, but I'm not sure from a stylistic perspective if it suits what they're doing. What really worked for the Springboks when Razzie was first there and his 18 months or 24 months, whatever it was, in the build up to the World Cup was simplicity and clarity. They knew what they were doing. The game plan had very little ways to go wrong. And it worked. It, it was a way that Razzie knew it worked because of Munster. So then took it to South Africa. And obviously with the bigger pack, the bigger set piece, you know, the, the quality he had in midfield as well, was able to take it to a point where it, it won a World Cup. But it has a shelf life. Like kick pressure does have a shelf life. 
and it has a shelf life for their players as well like there's only so long you can keep playing that sort of grind style of game and I think looking at what they're trying to do now they're obviously trying to expand their game a small bit they're mixing up their like their tendencies but again look just look at some of the the stats that stuck out to me from this was like their pass per carry rate was back at 1.1 which is low right I think if they're what they're looking to do it needs to be 1.25 or 1.3 to get to a point where you can start adding a bit of variety like you look at their um their kicks in play for South Africa was listed down at uh 21 which again it's 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 a bit lower than what they would normally do that's changed up since the weekend um but just looking at some of their some of their kicking tendencies here who did the vast majority of it um yeah their kicks in play most of them came from Faf de Klerk and he had eight kicks which is a loss now he had to come on he replaced um Grant Williams you know fairly early on but you look at eight kicks from the clerk that's your scrum half doing the majority of your kicking which is not on trend with the rest of the game at the moment right you look at Libok has six kicks Willie LaRue has five and you have uh, Arinsa and uh, and you know Grant Williams he is down here for one kick you know that was the one where he got knocked out but for your scrum half to be doing the majority of your kicking that is off trend at the moment that's not really um that's not really how you like the the game is kind of being played at the moment like obviously when you kick off nine it, it brings your pack into the game a little bit like so they're still playing a, a similar enough to kick pressure to a certain extent because with the pack and the size of the squad that they have like they can't afford to be doing stuff like counter transition they like the pack is too big they'd be running up and down the field doing shuttle runs you don't like that's a waste of their time right so to an extent that they will kick more off their um, off their scrum half but I'm not sure at the moment if that works for them if that's something that going forward if it plays into the style that they want like if you're going to kick off nine a lot they have to be highly contestable box kicks I didn't see a whole lot of that of their effectiveness in the air their, and their weakness to kicking as well coming from uh, the Argentinians was unbelievable like you look at their um, like the majority of, of Argentina's kicking came off their 10 um, you had to look you know later in the games their their, um, their their like their scrum half obviously kicked a fair bit too but like their ability to kick off Carreras was obviously it was it was it was much more effective and I think that in the backfield in particular South Africa have looked really really weak and that's not something that we typically associate with them because obviously if you're going to be a kick pressure team your you know your aerial work has to be really really good and I think that what teams are seeing now is and I think that this, we've seen this in the URC this season as well that when you are um, weak in the backfield and you have issues there teams will have no bother kicking to you we saw the All Blacks doing the same where LaRue was knocking on balls. We had Mapimpi knocking them on. Willemsa. Um, now, obviously, there was different fellas making those errors today but or in, in this game at the weekend. But, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a big issue for them. And I think that, like, on the balance of their play as well, like, I was wondering, how are they going to use uh, Marvin Ori? Because last time they used Marvin Ori as a, a big passing platform where he had, against Australia, I think he had nine or ten passes 
that was not the case here. Like we look at their passing, who did the who did the vast majority of their passing, and it was Libok, it was Larue, and all their forwards kind of fell back into old patterns where there was no Springbok forward got higher than five passes, which it's not all it's not not all not all about that. But to give you an example, um, you had Matera had seven passes, Lavanini had six, uh, Montoya had five, like it feels like South Africa are kind of half and half as to what they want from the game they're, like the game they're trying to play seems to be limited by their needs game to game like they almost lost this game and I think that Argentina can look at the, the opportunities they left behind them off the tee as being a you know a killer for them here but I think looking at the Springboks they're at the moment in a real state of flux like that. like your, your, your question there is like stylistically um are they struggling and they absolutely are like I think that they know they need to move on from from kick pressure they've been trying to do that over the last couple of years Nienaber has been unsuccessful I think for the most part in changing their style now they've still won a lot of games he's got a ridiculously good record at home for example but when the World Cup comes around with the weakness that they have in their backfield at the moment and playing against like the counter transition team in Ireland that game coming up against Ireland at the moment I can't see any other result except Ireland winning that at the moment now Ireland have a, I've got to see how Ireland do in the, in the warm-ups that's coming up this weekend against Italy but I look at how South Africa have struggled against kick dominant teams and teams who out kicked them and I'm thinking you know geez like if, if they play like this against Ireland they lose like if they play like if they, if they, if they play like this against Ireland in the World Cup Ireland will put will put ten or fifteen points at him, and that that'll be the margin of victory. Um, because th- there's just so many cracks in their game at the moment. Now, one good thing about the Springboks is is that when it comes back to the bare basics of of, of their game, their set piece, their scrum, their line out, their maul, both offensively and defensively, is always very very good. They're trying to build away from that, and you can see certain areas of their of their structure are changing. But I think that. Their, the quality of passing and the overall skill set of their forwards is not at the level it needs to be to expand the game at the pace they're looking to try to do it. Marvin Ori, for me, was the guy who I was interested to see this week if he was going to take on a, a, a separate role where he was going to be their main passing forward, a bit like what he was against Australia a couple of weeks ago, and he was not. And like that just, just didn't work out that way for whatever reason. Now, would it have been different if Grant Williams had stayed on the field? We know that Faf de Klerk's big strength in his game is is his kicking. He did a lot of that here as well, relatively speaking. But yeah, I think that the Springboks need something. And I think going back there to your question, like I think that the biggest area where we can see stylistic issues for them is in their scrum at the moment. Like or not they're not in their scrum, their midfield. Like if you look at their midfield and they're like they're 10, 12, 13. I'm looking at that and going, if you're looking to expand your game, at least two of those need to change. And I'm looking at Andre Esterhazen as being a guy who, if you're looking at the completeness in his game, I don't think he's as complete a player as, as Damien Delende is or as accomplished as Lucano M. But I think they need to make a change there. Like I'm not sure if Andre Pollard is the guy to turn around what Springboks are doing. Now maybe... Like, his kicking game is much better. 
Um, he's a more composed player. Maybe that'll play a big part of it. He's been hurt a lot, though, to be fair, so I'm not sure what player they're getting back there. I'm not going to make any massive pronouncements on it until I see him playing and you know see how he does week to week. But when they're looking to try and expand their game and their forwards are not currently massively comfortable passing the ball at any kind of volume, you're looking then at your, your 10, 12 and 13. How can we get these guys into the game more? From a South African perspective, like we're looking at the, the passing here from uh, Creel and D'Lende in this game. Like they have five passes between them. Now, Jesse Creel has taken pelters on social media um, over the last couple of weeks. He is he seems to be really unpopular with it, with a section of the of the South African fan base. Look, there, there are always going to be players like that who divide opinion. Um, it's not even really about the likes of Jesse Creel, though. Uh, for me, it's about how does your system suit your players? And what Razzie stumbled on in 2018... 2019 was a style of play that would absolutely suit the players that he had down to the ground. Now, the the army is in the likes of Sia Khaleesi. I think he adds an awful lot to whatever game they're playing. But when you have those perfect system and player and system are perfectly in tune. When you have that, I think that you are, you know, obviously you're capable of winning a World Cup off the back of that because he was just so effective and so like there was so little room for error in that game as in that the game that they were playing there was no real place for errors to happen because the errors always happened with the opposition now defensively there was always room for a mistake but their whole idea was like line speed with just the biggest most physical athletes that you have in in, in, in the sport big huge scrum big huge line out and uh, a kick pressure game that at the time within the rules was like really really tough to play against and you look at now if you're looking to expand your game out I think they're seeing similar I'm not saying it's the exact same but they're seeing elements of what they saw with uh, uh, Kutsia the, the head coach before Razi who was trying to expand the South African game but I think came across some of the same issues that Jacques Nienabar is, is experiencing now where if you don't have the 10 you need the midfield but if you don't have the 10 or the midfield, then things can look very, very laboured. And I think that, I don't know, they're going to have to start with their like their front five as it is. It'd be madness to change from that. They've got such big, huge, powerful players, big, huge, powerful pack. Mad to change away from that. I think the one area where they can make big changes and, and actually suit what they're trying to do is midfield. I'm not sure whether that means moving on from Dialende or maybe moving on from Lacanio M or moving on from Pollard or, 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 or Libok like I, I could see a way where you could keep LaRue at fullback the weaknesses in his game are what they are but I think offensively he gives them an awful lot from a creative perspective he's a really good passer of the ball he's an intelligent guy as well he sees the space and he's well able to link together two different movements as in where he can step in he can make that pass you know because you often ask your, like the, the players you're playing with if I step in here and I make that pass, can you run that line? Or if I get you into space, can you finish? What LaRue is really good at doing is stepping in and going, I can make that pass or I can put you into space. And he can do it from first receiver. 
he can move the game on fine but you think he's best coming into the play late and deep he can spot those spaces because he'll have seen it a few seconds in advance he can make that pass he's really good at that at those visualizations and executing those so i wouldn't move on from him but i'm looking at their midfield and like there's a lot of hitters there lacanio am at his very best would be the fellow who i would keep in there come what may but he has not come back the same guy after the injuries he's had um and look that happens um creatively i think they need something a bit different there now whether that's damien Willemsa, do you get him in there what it like is in do you put damien Willemsa at 12 knowing that you know he's a creative guy got a good boot like he's a really complete player just not a 10 do you add him in there so that you can kind of get the best of Libok and, and Willemsa as a duo at 10-12? Or do you put Pollard and Willemsa there where you can round out what Pollard isn't great at with Willemsa and vice versa? And then you put your 13. Who is your 13 in, the, in, in that instance then? It can be Lucanio Am. Maybe it could be Damien Lende. Maybe it could be Andre Esterhazen. Like I think that adds in a whole layer of, of creativity there as well. But I think like you're looking back at, at their scheme also. Is it as advanced as it needs to be or is it is it is it as advanced as it kind of has to be because there's so many players coming in from all over the world they've got so little cohesion is this what they've got to build with and i think that's the the challenge facing the springboks over the the next couple of um of 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 weeks and months is building in their game and seeing what they can do because like honestly this is just a moment in time for them they did not look good in this game um they they could well have lost and I think they, they probably should have lost. But I think looking at their overall um, their overall approach, at the moment, it doesn't look like they're heading into, into a great place. But that can all change. It really can. And I think that's your, I suppose, your your mentality if you're Jacques Nienabar is, we kind of just stick at this now. Um, but I think his big issue is selection more than anything else. Um, to step in there and make a... Um, I suppose to make a, a a framework that can work for them, but I think his big selection issues are 10, 12, and thirteen. I think that's where I think he has to spring some um, some shocks. Um, and EC twenty three here asks on on Discord, Tom could Scotland be a bigger threat in South Africa uh, unless South Africans can sort out their halfback issues? I think that if you mix in South Africa's pack with Scotland's backline <laughs> you have a really dangerous outfit I think that they are two incomplete teams at the moment and I think look some of that is down to injury on the Springbok side of things but um, the yeah I think that's the, 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 they'll both be troublesome in their own way if that makes sense uh, this question from Jack is kind of on the same uh, the same wavelength here, which is, is there any solution for South Africa at 10, apart from hoping and praying Pollard is fit? Um, you see, I, I think that Pollard in, like, in himself is not necessarily a fix all to what the issues the Springboks have. It's just that they won a World Cup with him at 10. And from what I've seen of him at, at Leicester and, and from Montpellier before there, he's, he's been okay. Like, we're not talking about like again you can make an argument that he's almost more of a more of a sort of a second style a second playmaker and the qualities he brings as opposed to a primary one and like that's the big issue with springbok rugby at the moment is that getting an elite 10 is so hard it's so difficult like not every team has one of those and with the style that they that they had in 2019 
they didn't necessarily need one. They needed a really good, reliable goal kicker, which they had obviously in Andre Pollard. I think his numbers have fallen back a little bit from there. But yeah, no, it's it's just it, it's 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 a weird one because like they they seem to be stacked everywhere else except for ten, obviously. A little bit shallow at nine. Midfield, bit bit a few question marks there, but they've got a lot of good wingers. They've got a really good pack all the way through. And um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one, but I, I think that stylistically at the moment, they're not where they need to be. And I think that they'll dial it back, I think, a fair bit when the World Cup comes around. I think that they don't have enough time to make a massive shift in their game plan. Um, and I think when it, the actual World Cup itself starts, they might well just go back to basics, which is go with their kick pressure game. And I think a, a, one solution for them would be go to a bit like that kind of heavy kick pressure and transition that the way that France play and give license to the likes of Arensa, to the likes of Colby to the likes of maybe that's in a position where you might make a change where you bring in Willemsa at fullback and look to try to just really hurt teams in the first or second phase of transition um, so that they don't necessarily want to kick the ball too long defend but then you're you're, you're, you're thinking then like oh you leave out my pimpy you leave out like who do you change there that's kind of the big the big issue and the big selection issues for South Africa I think that they have a number of issues that they kind of have to work out between now and the World Cup and they're getting a lot of confusing reads I think at the moment because I'm going to go on a bit of a deep dive in their game against Argentina in the track in the box series that's going to be coming up this week but looking at their game against Argentina they just look really unsure of themselves and like yeah look they made a lot of mistakes and there was a fair number of turnovers and, and, and whatnot, but I think it's more complex than oh they just they just started making errors you know because you you have a number of like their like their turnovers conceded like there's so many guys all the way through the team like Colby had two like the you know uh, Dutoy had two or Steph Dutoy had two uh, the clerk had four which is, again is 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 not very common for him but like it's just one of those things where like Libok for example like he had twelve points in this game he scored a try for himself or whatever. But I don't think that from an actual stylistic perspective they nailed down anything really with regards to like going forward with him. If he was to start against Ireland, for example, would you be confident of him driving the bus to beat Ireland? Like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> like it's just because he's he's obviously not seasoned, he's a young player, but I think he needs to be like he's a different type of player. Like he needs to be playing a ver- like a wildly different team and a wildly different structure to make it what he is really good at work and the Springboks will play a very different game from the Stormers play so yeah look there's lots of questions to be answered with them I think that they're just a real work in progress at the moment and yeah like it doesn't look like they're building with sort of the momentum they had prior to 2019 where they were getting really really good credible results yeah I think they've, they've got some stuff to work out but I think the biggest thing for them is 10 12 13 and then their alignment in the backfield that's going to be it like, like that's where the majority of the decision making will fall down for them I think and finally the game that I've had the most amount of questions about which is New Zealand uh, and the Wallabies uh, in the MCG in Brisbane it was a blowout win for the um, the All Blacks I don't think that Australia were as bad as what the score suggests they were hurt in the second half by players going off injured you know shenanigans there um, in ill discipline at times they had two yellow cards in this game um, but 
you look at the scoreboard 38-7 and it's a fairly lopsided one and I think looking at what um, the uh, Wallabies are trying to do I think they're trying to build a counter transition style game like their kicking uh, levels was slightly below the All Blacks here I think they could have done a little bit more kicking to be honest they had 21 to 25 kicks um, I think the problem in, in the first half when they had a bit of, ascend- of an ascendancy in the game was that they didn't kick well enough um, they had an ex- inexperienced guy at 10 and he made a number of errors but I think that's again a bit like South Africa I think their pack is pretty good I think that they have some really good players there and, and, and the pack I think in general played quite well here the issue seem, for me seems to be in their in their back line. They don't know who their guy is at 10. I think Nick White is a good player at scrum half. I think that he'll fit with whoever. If they had somebody to run it there that they were certain about, they could. But I don't think Craig Cooper's that guy. Uh, I don't think that, um, you know, Gordon could well be. But he's just, he's very young and very inexperienced. And I think that the mistakes he made in this game, some of his goal kicking and some of the mistakes he made... Um, with it, with his own kicking game, I think were the kind of stuff that you expect to happen with a, a younger player. To be fair, like nobody's, I'm not, I'm not downing the fella at all. It, it, it is what it is. But like, I think that the guts of a really good team are there for, um, for Australia. And we look at the the balance of their kicking. The majority of it was done by by Gordon. Uh, he had he had eight kicks in this game. Not all of them were very good. And they the rest of them were balanced out in midfield. You had uh, Pattaya. You had uh, Karebi and I don't think they weren't necessarily hugely effective there either why I'm saying that they need to have a look at 10, 12 and 13 is that uh, I think that Callaway is a strike runner um, and you know and, and a good player but I'm looking at their, their entire backline really where are the kickers from the way they're setting up the play it looks like they're trying to play counter transition rugby which I think Eddie Jones realises is a fairly strong and powerful way to play, especially with the pack he has available to pick. Because like he has the, 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 the personnel there that he can make. He, he can play anyway. Because like when you've got guys like Will Skelton, who I think, who I think had a really good game here, by the way. Um, they have quality, I think, where... You know, you have uh, Valentini. Rob Valentini played really well. Uh, Tom Hooper had a great game. He had a bad start against uh, South Africa but Eddie put him back in again and he's his defending what were his numbers his, his tackle numbers were unbelievable what is it Hooper he had, he's down here for 30 tackles which is <laughs> fucking ridiculous but you look at the quality that they have I think that like their their pack overall here that they played was actually really strong like you had Rob Valentini who's like a, a heavy combo flanker verging on a power forward you had a four lock pack right you had Tom Hooper you had Jed Holloway you had Skelton you had Frost and they use Skelton exactly the way they should be, like where the the guy who did the vast majority of the tackling was was Frost. He did twenty three tackles. Tom Hooper did thirty, um, and then they they use Skelton then offensively. So like you look at, at, at in attack, Skelton carried the ball. Uh, he carried the ball five times for fifteen meters, but like uh, or sorry, no, he didn't. He's, yeah, five for fifteen meters, and like he was involved at the breakdown. He was involved in the lineup mall. He just made big plays just running around the place making not running just kind of lumbering really but he's a really really effective player for them um, and they balance that out with having just basically three other locks there as well and I think they looked they looked good for it where, where you had Parecki uh, at, at hooker was almost a small forward in that build um, and I thought he, he played well too but 
like I think their issue is and a lot of the questions that I've gotten in from people are basically on like what is Eddie doing and I think what he's doing is he's trying to build a counter transition team but at the moment he's missing the key pieces you need for that because like you look at uh, Mark uh, Nawaka Nitawaze like, how, well how well he played like he was outstanding in this game so he's a guy who he put in but he has to start right he has to start that guy must start for me then I'm looking over at um, Marika Kawarabete, who's a really good player as well. So you're going, oh, well, we can't leave him out because he's obviously a really powerful player. So you're, okay, so look, we've got two power wingers. Okay, two power wingers. We can make that work, especially with the way with uh, Nawaki Nidwaze, how good he is in the air. He gives you that kind of combo coverage there where he's, he's 6'4", he's long, huge wingspan. So like, you can make that work. So you're going, okay, so who's our fullback? And you're going, okay, Kellaway. Not exactly a noted kicker of the ball. Good player, good strike runner. So I'm looking at that and going, right. That would be the obvious spot there where I'd look to try and bring in another playmaker. And by playmaker, I mean a reliable kicking and passing option that you can load up with those with those, with those involvements. Like you look here, it is passing Kellaway at six passes, which isn't massive. Yeah, Samu Karevi had, had 10 Gordon obviously had 16 so the way that their, their back passing broke down was um, 16 passes from Gordon uh, 10 from Karevi and then 6 from Kellaway with uh, Nawaka Nituaze having 4 uh, then you have Pattaya having 2 and Koro Rabete having 3 I think they need somebody there who can step in for a lot more involvements there and not just passing but you can add reliable kicking for what they want to do you can see the way that, that Australia when, when they were kicking they were kicking long not necessarily contestable and when they were contestable it was at the kind of the upper end of the mid-range so they're looking to try to basically to max out like we've got this big pack we're going to play with a lot of like forward pressure when we kick we're going to use our back line to cover up the space of our big heavy basically four lock pack with our you know the, the heavy enough locks that they have I think that their um, their what's his name uh, Angus Bell is a hugely important guy to them as well because he gives them almost he's a big guy but he's a really mobile as well for his size he covers a lot of ground for them defensively as well like that aspect of their game I think that they can make that work with the, the back three that they have so if we're, if we're looking at our build right if we're going to go with a, a four lock pack which has its it has its uh, drawbacks but the positives are there to be seen if you have that and you have um, you know like like I said Nawaki Nidawaze how good he is in the air and Corrado Betty now we're looking at well who's going to be our kicker who's going to be who's going to help our 10 to kick and manage the game in the backfield so we can live with teams when they, when they decide to kick back to us and we can make those decisions then I think Kellaway's first option isn't necessarily to kick. And you, I think if he's going to be taking that ball in the backfield, Nawaki Nidwaze isn't going to do it. We don't want Corrado Bete doing too much kicking either. So my fullback, I think, alternating in the backfield with that 10 has to be a guy who can kick with us as well. And you're thinking, okay, well, look, Kellaway, we like what he brings. Fair enough. You're going into midfield then. Who are options here? So you're going Samu Karevi, great player, really powerful guy skilled player so you're thinking okay okay so we have to start him so you're thinking then okay look Jordan Pattaya great player they spent a lot of money getting him in um, from I think I think he's a guy as he, as he played rugby league or whatever it was um, but again more of a hitter than, a, than he is a ball player and like again he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big guy he's an athletic fella 
Like he's played uh, at at fullback as well. He's six three. He's under, he's hundred and something kg. Like good player, but I'm not sure if the if the the, the kicking part of his game is, is where it needs to be there where like I think that their counter transition scheme can work I think they can even make it work with their pack being as heavy as it is but it won't work if they don't have the, the backs to be able to kick reliably like some of the kicks that we saw from Karevi were awkward they weren't where they needed to be they're not bringing their defence into the game on transition um, and I, I think they like what they're bringing from like I think Jordan Pataya defensively really quick big physical player covers a lot of ground and, and basically shores up the defensive transition side of that game but I think when it comes to the management of when the opposition kick back to them and managing those spaces I think that's where the issues uh, kind of come in with them and where they're not fully right you look at some of the guys they've tried to bring in I think there'll be more experimentation we'll see from the Wallabies in the back line I think their pack is actually pretty good like I saw some guy criticising Eddie Jones to the fucking moon and back that he's a bad selector Eddie Jones has to try a number of different guys there to see if he can make um, what they're doing work I think people have this idea that you can select players and they'll just play rugby and they will win if it's the right selection that doesn't take into account the system you're running and the system you're looking to try and play they want to play counter transition rugby I'm sure of it where they're basically doing what Ireland do which is you kick long the opposition has to reset you meet them on transition they kick the ball back to you you run your next couple of phases in transition then or you attack them indirectly or you kick again and you're basically building momentum that way in an almost off ball way but when you have the ball then you're able to strike and run really really intricate stuff you could see bits and pieces from the Wallabies when they were, when they were doing that in the first part of the game first I'd say the first third they were playing with that sort of intent uh, even when their kicking wasn't great it still worked but I think they started to go back into their shell a little bit as the game went on and once the, once the All Blacks scored and started building up a bit of a lead I think that the, the Wallabies natural tendency then is to hang on to the ball whereas I don't think they're built to do that I think the system that they're trying to run needs them, you know, counterintuitively, I would say, kick the ball along and try and stop the, uh, the All Blacks on transition. Once you do, let them kick the ball back to you and, and then work forward from there. I think that's conceptu- conceptually what they're, trying to, what they're trying to build, but I'm not sure if they have the, the personnel for that at the moment. And, but at, at the same time, you might think, well, why doesn't Eddie play with what he has? What they have wasn't really working either you know so like I think that what he's bringing in is this is the concept of they've got a lot of energetic and strong defenders we saw some great shots in defence from the Wallabies in this game so if they have that and we know they've got a big strong set piece they've got a big strong line out mall if they have that and they've got a decent scrum for the most part although they've got a few injuries to contend with they're now a tight head so if they have all that how do you run that game you go well can we get a can we get a team who like who are good in transition in world rugby? Traditionally, you'd say New Zealand, France, Wallabies. So do they have good transition runners? Yes, they do. So what do you want to do more of? We want to play more in transition. Uh, we want to be we want to have our line out mall. We want to have a big line out. We want to have a good scrum. What play state has more of those? Counter transition. So. They're just missing the guys to, to launch it all. And I think they only need one or two fellas to make it work. But they need them soon enough. And I think that the Wallabies, when they click with this, they'll surprise a ton of people. 
some of the questions I have in here from people are basically like how far can the World Cup go um, like for example here Jack asks is there any possibility of Eddie Jones getting a game plan together that can work well for the sheer athletes and size he has in his team he's trying to and I think that if he can get that to work he can play a sort of a heavy counter transition game with the pack that they have that can be a nightmare for teams but the problem is he doesn't have the 10 or the auxiliary players he needs in his back line to make it work and that's the big problem for them and time is running out um, so just looking at some of the other questions that are here sorry there now that's annoying okay here we go next one um, is Eddie Jones this is from Jerry O'Donovan is he capable of offering anything other than trolling headlines media intrigue at this stage of his career the last two years of England and the start of his Australian campaign have been high on media ploys and low on clear selection policy and game plan execution yeah no I, I agree there it's, it's like it's not looking good for Eddie at the moment but I think he knows very much what he wants to do and it's not about hiding things for the World Cup I do disagree with um, with Squidge on that one it's just that he did, he didn't have the personnel he didn't have the pack I would say at England to make what he wanted to do work he does in Australia but he doesn't have the 10 or the the other players in midfield I think if he could make a transfer of Owen Farrell or George Ford or Henry Slade to Australia Australia would make a World Cup final (laughs) but that's the thing he doesn't have those players in Australia and he needs them to make it work so a lot of his selection policy is going to be based on what kind of fucking combinations can we put together here to get what we need and I think he's asking some of those players to step out of the out, out of their comfort zone and that's an issue for them but yeah I think that's like that, that's the big thing with uh, with Eddie Jones at the moment is that he is obviously he's talking a big game in the media I think to a certain extent taking pressure off the players I think or so he feels um, but yeah I think that he is going to be experimenting a fair bit more I think in the pack I think he knows pretty much what the crack is with, with the players he has there it's just that there's so much needs to happen at 9, 10, and then tw- then 12, 13, 15, something has to change there. So he has to get somebody in who can help run that system. Because if, if he can't, um, most of their games are going to look a bit like this. And on the other side of the coin, then you have the All Blacks who just looked really, really effective. Um, a lot of questions on them as well. Conor McHugh asks where do you strike a balance between New Zealand's improvement and Southern Hemisphere rugby being at a lower ebb currently I think New Zealand are much improved from their summer series last year but I still don't think they're on level of France and Ireland I would agree with you there Conor to be honest I think that the All Blacks are looking better than what they than what they did last year now I know I'm saying counter transition a lot but they are playing a very clear counter transition game plan they have the players to do it and their own version of it involves a lot of really tight handling on transition around the edges they're so dangerous there this is a a unique addition that the All Blacks can bring to it in that they have such good natural handlers of the ball offloaders that they can play those edge plays that will come on maybe first or second phase on transition and just kill teams they can load teams up and once they make a a line break and get into your opposite into the 22 or close to it they have so many talents there they can they can split you open and that's the thing like you just need to prevent them from getting into that spot in the first place and I think that's been that will be the issue against France and Ireland is that like Australia were not able to kick effectively against the All Blacks here so the All Blacks were never on the back foot for very long and when they put when when they kicked the ball as they did regularly and often just a breakdown of their own kickers here again like 
they had a big change to make in midfield, and I think they made their change by moving in um, by moving in Jordy Barrett. They gave themselves that other option. Now here, though, the balance of their outfield kicking happened from Moonga, as we expect, from Barrett, as we expect, and from Will Jordan, which we don't expect. He had four uh, kicks in play here, which is in part, I think, what the, the, the Wallabies were kicking to him to a certain extent. But they have a well-balanced team here. You look at Jordy Barrett, his ability to kick as well. He's a former fullback and a guy with a good boot in him as well. Like they have a lot of capable players there of running this game and basically kicking, keeping that kicking momentum going. There were some sequences in this game where they went fairly deep on their, you know, on both teams looking for an edge on transition. They kicked one, two, three, four times, and um, they've got the squad and the backline in Mwanga, in Bowden Barrett, in Jordy Barrett, and even in Will Jordan to keep that game going long term. Like, they won't run out of players in the backfield. Like, they've got a lot of kicking options there that are dangerous, that are capable of, you know, finding a 50-22, of being two-way players and that they're not just kick dominant. Like, Sexton, for example, if he's in the backfield, a great kicker, but not a massive threat in transition. You can't say that about Richie Mwanga. You can't say that about Jordy Barrett. You can't say that about Bowden Barrett. Uh, certainly not about Will Jordan. Like, that's the, the, the advantage that the All Blacks have, and it suits them down to the ground. The issue with the All Blacks was is that their line-out and their scrum wasn't great. Uh, the addition of Jason Ryan um, has been outstanding for them. Their maul, their line-out looks so much better. Their scrum in particular looks really, really good. Um, and that's shored up a part of their game that wasn't working for them. So it's the same with any, with any counter-transition team. You can have the kickers. If your line-out and your scrum isn't working, it won't work. And the line-out in particular. If your line-out goes below... 85% you're going to lose or you'll be very close to losing because it it produces a lot of, of lineouts by default and they had a lot, of line-out, a lot of lineouts in this game as well and I think that's the the, the, the big part of, of this style of play is that you've got to have certain ways of shoring it up and I think that's the All Blacks have shored up that aspect of their game but like I said and, and like you said there I'm not sure if they're competition at the moment Argentina are up and down South Africa are up and down the Wallabies are obviously in a, in, a, in a huge transition at the moment I'm not sure if it's massively indicative of a big jump in quality I think they're only really going to see that once they go into their warm-up games and then once they hit that first game against France it's a nightmare matchup for them for, uh, first up um, because France had the size to kind of take away a lot of the bullshit and but you see the All Blacks think, oh, well, we, we played Springboks and we beat the shit out of them. France are better than Springboks at the moment. Like, they have all the problems that the Springboks have, France do not have. And they have the same size of a pack as well. That's why I think France is so dangerous this, in this World Cup, is that they have the answers to all the questions, I think. Certainly in theory. Um, and uh, just have a look at some of the other questions here. Aiden, do you think Damien McKenzie has any chance of the New Zealand 10 jersey or has Moonga and Barrett do they have him shut out? And if so, why wouldn't he play fullback all year with, with uh, the chances of getting uh, that jersey as he played at 10? Um, I think with Damien McKenzie, and I think certainly with the way that the All Blacks play, him playing at 10 or fullback, it's kind of, they're, they're, they're one and the same. Certainly, with, certainly with, with the way the All Blacks play. He's the guy most suited to it with the Chiefs at, at 10. But I think if you look at the way that the, the All Blacks are, are kicking and playing, 
he could play 10 or 15 for them. I think he gives them really good depth and it allows Jordy Barrett to fully, from a physical perspective, commit to 12 and commit to the midfield. I think Damien McKenzie will have a role to play with the All Blacks. I think he will um, fit in there at some point because he can do so at 10 or or fullback and I think give you really, really good coverage on the bench. So I think that he allows them to play with confidence because they have a guy who can fill in. Like how many teams have three, we'll say 10s, as good as McKenzie Barrett and Moonga like that that really works for the for the All Blacks so I think that he'll certainly play a big role for them maybe not a starting role but I mean geez, if you're looking at a fella to bring to a World Cup fuck it Damien McKenzie who can fill in three spots for you if needs be is in 10 15 or on the bench invaluable in, 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 invaluable and uh, Connor asks um, oh yeah I already answered that question um, the other questions were here um yeah, that, that, that's the end of the questions on New Zealand. But like, that's the kind of the, the the way that I'm looking at them is that they've they've improved obviously massively. But I'm not sure looking at the troubles the other teams have been in, if they are back to the All Blacks yet. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I think that they've certainly made counter transition work for them, and that in itself is a worry because we may have to play them, and if they are without some of the issues that plagued them last year I think that they've sorted out their build for example their back five build they seem to have moved away from their three lock pack you cannot play counter transition rugby with your three locks in the pack being Retallic, White Lock and Barrett won't work it won't work if they go with Barrett and Retallic, you might look you might say that looks a little bit lightweight but if you're playing counter transition rugby it doesn't matter until you come up against a team who can off-ball you or on-ball you. And I think that's, the, that's the, the the area of worry that France would be able to do that. But I think that they found the right balance for themselves at the moment in the back five with the midfield, with Jordi Barrett, giving that other like that other playmaking and kicking option on, on the counter-transition, as well as giving them a lot of midfield-like tendencies as well, opens up a large part of the game for them. But I would want to see a bit more from them other than what we've seen in the Rugby Championship, which is... Argentina, who were, like I said, very inconsistent, and two sides in the Wallabies in South Africa who are wildly incomplete at the moment and both searching for similar things to get back to a level where they can compete at this World Cup. So, yeah, and one of the questions I'll finish off with here, uh, two questions, is Mackers. Tom, who do you, of the majority contenders, do you see being most at risk of being behind the curve of game trends at this World Cup? South Africa, I think. Not true want of trying, but because of the players they have available to them and seasoned right now, I think they're in danger of falling behind the trends of the game at the moment where they're not anything, where they're not an off-ball team, they can't play high-volume possession on-ball rugby, and they're not a counter-transition side, and you can't be a blend... Well, you can be a blend of different styles, but I think at the moment that they may accidentally fall into a France-style game plan. But they'll need to make difficult decisions in the back line to do so. Um, yeah, I think that they're they're the ones most in danger, I think, of, of falling behind. Um, you look at Wales at the moment, I think Wales are, are fairly low ranked at the moment. They're low enough expectation. But I think of the major contenders, I would say South Africa are probably the most in danger. And this is finally from Mike. Hi, Tom. If you had to tweak one thing about Ireland going into this World Cup to try and improve Ireland's chances, what would it be? Um... I would go back in time 
<laughs> and I would uh, try out more options at 10. I think Ireland at the moment are favourites for the World Cup from all, from what I've seen over the last while. They'll be joint favourites, I would say, there or thereabouts with France. France being at home would always have them as being, a, you know, I would say as as much of a favourite as Ireland is from Ireland's just ability to win games over the last 18 months on the road and at home. Um, the big worry for me from Ireland is that without Sexton we are an unknown quantity when it comes to big games because for every game that we've played every minute of that game where we've been in danger of losing and it's a game we we can't lose or don't want to lose Sexton has played every important minute and go back even two or three years like Sexton is only going off the field when the game has been won this is in the Six Nations this is in against uh, New Zealand like he only left the field voluntarily like he was injured in the first test but like he played 73, 74, 75 minutes or whatever else so we don't know a whole lot we don't know about how Jack Crowley would run we don't know how Ross Byrne would run it uh, we know how these guys can play with their province which is you know Jack Crowley probably finished the season the strongest of, of, of all of them but at Ireland level it's an unknown quantity and I think that's the big worry at the moment for Ireland is that we know with Sexton there that we're incredibly difficult to beat but he's suspended for all the warm up games he's 38 years of age now so if he picks up a bang in, against Scotland for example that might keep him out for the guts of two weeks we don't know much about what we'd expect from Jack Crowley or what we'd expect from Ross Byrne because they haven't been given the moments like I would love to go back in time and knowing what we know now look look at Ross Byrne run him in some big games in the Six Nations and see where he goes when the pressure is on can he deliver Jack Crowley has come on fairly late right He's he was young with Covid he's come in about as quickly as he could come in give him a, 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 like a big test from the start uh, in November instead he came in and he, did, and he did it wearing Johnny Sexton's jersey because it was Sexton was meant to play the entire time so he, he didn't get to run the week he basically had to step in last minute they should have given him all three I would say and run and go from there we know what we, we know what we've seen from Johnny and in the Six Nations okay Jack Crowley did well in the Autumn Nations series start him in, in, in a couple of Six Nations game not just against Italy or whatever else are off the bench start him at home against France and you go well what if we lost what if we did find something out about this guy learn how he deals with this pressure but we haven't gone down that road and I, I understand it look Andy Farrell has been needing to win these rugby games he needed to win a trophy this year because Ireland hadn't won a trophy since, he took, since he'd taken over so win the Grand Slam great brilliant we're now coming up to the World Cup the Grand Slam is old news what do we know about our 10s after Johnny we don't know much like we know they're good players Jack Crowley I think is going to be the guy going forward that's just my opinion Ross Byrne we know that he can do a job at Leinster but we also know that when the heat came on in the high pressure game that he fell away in that second half and that worse the Leinster players around him started looking away from him as well just go back and watch the footage if you don't believe me so how will that translate to Ireland level where the pressure if anything will be higher like a big Heineken Cup final at home if you're if you're Leinster and you're winning 17-0 to see that out that's huge the pressure is big this is Ireland we're talking about now in a World Cup in that high pressure game against South Africa right what I 
like it, it, the nightmare scenario for me would be if Sexton pulls out the week before the game and we are loading up wherever it is be it Ross or be it Jack Crowley so if Ross Byrne's starting we know nothing about what he's like leading a week of a game of that scale Jack Crowley has had big games for Munster where he's led the week he's been dug eye in, in finals and won them but we don't know what he's like at test level because we haven't seen it so I think that would be the thing I would go back and change the rest of our game looks in pretty good shape to be honest like like I've always saying oh look like, like more Munster fellas in there in the wider squad but you look at that that Ireland team like they're really really good like really complete doesn't seem to be a whole lot of holes anywhere except like I've said there that concept at 10 of well Johnny's 38 like we need him to be fit for Scotland to be fit for South Africa and then finish out the pool with whoever and then that, that, that quarter final if we make it against whoever all blacks or France more than likely he needs to be ready for that because the the two guys who might step in at the moment for him have not seen games at that scale where they've had to be the guy from the start Johnny has been that guy all the way along that's what I would change because that to me seems to be the seems to be the biggest weakness and and I'm not saying oh throw Johnny by the wayside he's the best player that we have at the moment for running at 10 and he, I know he's 38 but he is the captain he is the guy a generational talent at Ireland when he's playing at 10 Ireland are better and Ireland are very comfortable with him at 10 but what if he's not there and available for it and that's the problem he's 38 he's going to be coming in cold into this World Cup without no warm up games that's the issue and that's be the one, that'd be the one thing I would change look thank you very much for joining me on this podcast thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber I'll be back with uh, this podcast again next week next Monday so if I miss your question this week I'm sorry send it in again you can send it in at info at furiakings.com with the um the uh, hunting web Ellis uh, in the subject line or join that uh, thread on discord leave a question there and I will get to all of them eventually so thank you very much for joining me I'll talk to you again very very soon